Comes it up, and the 2011 NBA Finals underway here at the American Airlines Arena. Chandler, alley oop, and a foul. Beautiful pass from Jason Kidd. Levinsky, backs it in. Oh, there he goes. He's in some incredible shots during this playoff run. And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, and joining me, as always, my co-host, contributor at Mavs.com, the finals fiend, the one more thing king. What you got for me, Isaac Harris? Man, I'm not going to lie. It was so good to sit down and watch a Dallas Mavericks basketball game today. And I know Fox Sports uh, Southwest, if you live in Dallas, they've been playing uh, some games from recently. Uh, I know uh, last night they played, uh, I think it was Dirk's last game with uh, against Kobe, and that was special. And coming up on Thursday night, they're playing uh, Dirk's last game. And I'm like, listen, guys, we're in quarantine. Some people are in some dark moments right now. The last thing I want to do is like cry again uh, about watching Dirk retire, but this is where everybody's going to go down memory lane again on a Thursday night to see his last game in Dallas. But that wasn't any, any of those Mavs games. I did not watch. I watched alongside along, not alongside. I wish because Nick's in Florida, but along with Nick uh, yesterday, we watched game one of the 2011 NBA finals and, Man, I miss Dirk. And that's what we're going to break down today in our finals flashback. We're getting into game one, finally. The last two podcasts, if you missed them, we broke down the Mavericks 2010-2011 season. And then we broke down the three series leading up to this. Uh, And now we're into the finals. We're breaking down game by game each pod now as we go along. We're still, by the way, going to do our live show on Thursday night. So... Check us out on Hot Mike if you want to hang out with us, ask some questions, play some games, whatever we decide to do. That's what we're going to do on Thursday. But let's get into this game. There's so many storylines, so many things. Game one was a little bit of a dud, and we'll talk about that, but we can get into some of the storylines going into the finals right now. Again, we're talking about the 2011 finals. This is you know, Dirk. This is Jason Kidd, Tyson Chandler. This is Sean Marion. I don't have to tell you guys you know, who all was involved, but just for some people that are kind of new. Um, going into this, I mean, Jet's trophy tattoo was one of the biggest storylines going into it. Uh, he had got he. We talked about that on yesterday's podcast, but he got the trophy tattoo on his right bicep at Deshaun Stevenson's house in Orlando on October nineteenth, two thousand ten. Like before the season had started, he got that trophy tattoo, and so now they're in the finals, and he could make good on that on that trophy prediction. Basically, uh, going into this. Yeah, that was a huge one uh, with Jet and the Tat. And, uh, of course, I love Deshaun Stevenson. Uh, you know, not burying the lead here, but, like, just everything with Dirk. I mean, this was the the moment for Dirk to kind of redeem himself on the biggest stage of, you know, Nick mentioned on yesterday's pod that, you know, he basically had, it was just Jet and, and Dirk that were, uh, you know, remaining on this Mavs team from that 2006 uh, finals and you know coincidence that it's the heat too so uh every i mean you couldn't all the storylines you know wrote themselves right there because trying to get you know revenge and Dwayne wade and all of that dirk's back and dirk get over the hump finally in the finals and all of that i mean that's the the biggest storyline is will dirk be remembered as if this was his you know this is his last finals it, will he be the guy that's like, hey, will he be remembered as like a, a Carl Malone or a Charles Barkley, you know, one of those guys that can never fully win the title or not? There are so many 
storylines like that. This was perfectly set up for the Mavericks to be the underdog, to be the old, you know, grizzled veteran team going up against this just juggernaut of a Miami Heat team with LeBron, Bosh, and Wade. LeBron and Bosh are 26 years old. Dwayne Wade was 29, uh, and they didn't really have anybody else on their team. Udonis Haslam was 30 at this point. He had won a title with Wade. It was really interesting on the other side of the ball where you have Wade and Haslam were the two holdovers from the 06 finals, and then Dirk and Jet were the two holdovers from the 06 finals on the Mavs side. And so then you at least had similar characters, and Pat Riley was still around. Um, you know, he wasn't coaching the team, but he was in the front office and it was against them. It was against the heat. And so you had so many demons for Dirk to exercise all at once, right? There's the, the heat themselves. There's Dwayne Wade, the 2006, you know, injury Mike, Mike Breen at one point in the game said that, uh, Dirk still had not watched any of the 2006 finals games. And I doubt that's changed (laughs) since that, since 2011. But at that point he hadn't watched any of the games back. He just said it hurt too much and didn't want to talk about them. Um, but going up against that team, getting back to the finals, finally getting there, going up against this juggernaut team, like to be able to overcome, to be able to overcome the the soft narrative, to be able to overcome the heat narrative, the Dwayne Wade free throw narrative, LeBron is the best player in the game narrative. There's just so many things going up against this Mavericks team. And the Heat were very well favored. There's so many other things for this this Mavericks team, though, because it wasn't just Dirk and then Jet who had now come back and had uh, things to kind of, I guess, get off their back or, I guess, a chip on their shoulder. So Dirk, he was in the Western Conference Finals in 2003. Uh, we don't talk about that season enough, but they went all the way. I think they lost to the Spurs in that one. That's when the Spurs went and won the title. Uh, and then in 06, they obviously lost the finals. They come back the next season after 06. They win 67 games in the, in the new regular season. They lose in the first round. So Dirk and Jet have both gone through that. Um, obviously, J.J. Barea did that you know, as well, too. That's definitely still something that they wanted to prove themselves after getting beat you know, in the first round there. You have Jason Kidd, who had been to the 2 finals against the Lakers and the 3 finals against the Spurs and lost both of them. Uh, so he had stuff that he wanted to get off his chest. They said at the beginning of this game, did you catch when Mike Breen said that if they, if the Mavericks had won this series, which they do, spoiler alert, uh, that Jason Kidd would be the oldest starting guard to ever win Though the finals, he was 38 at the time of the series. It says 37 on basketball reference, but he had turned 38 by the time the series started. So Jason Kidd, another player that had some demons to exercise, basically, getting back to the finals. I think that storyline gets kind of overshadowed a little bit because the fact that this was this was Jason Kidd's uh, you know one and only title too, and because when you compare Jason Kidd to some of these other guys, you know even you know Sean Marion, Jet, you know whatever, like Kidd was at a different level than them as far as like a career wise. Yeah, you know, at one point you, in his career, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like as far as like a Hall of Fame level guy, I mean Jason Kidd's one of the best point guards to ever play the game. So this this year and this title, it wasn't just you know it meant more for Dirk and his legacy because Dirk's higher up that list but also something for Jason Kidd who's yeah like you just say he's one of the best point guards to ever play the game and this allowed him to get his title too you also had Sean Marion who was part of the 05 Suns that lost in the Western Conference Finals against the Spurs again the Spurs just beating people in the West um, he was part of the 06 Suns this is the seven seconds or less Suns with, with Steve Nash the 06 Suns lost in the West Finals against the Mavericks on their way to play in their first finals, um, and then he played 
uh, that, that season when the the Suns went to the Western Conference Finals against the Mavs, they played in two series of seven games. So they played Game Seven in the first round, Game Seven in the second round, and then lost in six to the Mavericks. They just they played an insane amount of games that playoffs and ended up losing. So he had been through a lot there. In 07, the Suns lost to the West or lost to the Spurs in the West semifinals, and that was the series where Mari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw got suspended for leaving the bench during the Robert Ori incident. Uh, and that was like a remember that being a huge controversy. I remember just yeah. listening to ESPN radio the next day and just hearing how it was such a you know a terrible thing that they got suspended just for st- they basically just stepped onto the court during like a scuffle and they got suspended for one game and that's what ended up uh, they were tied two two at that point. And they ended up losing game five and then game six, and they lost the series. Uh, but that was the last chance the Suns had, that seven seconds or less Suns team had. And so Sean Marion had some demons exercise too. I mean, he had been to the mountaintop a couple times and hadn't been able to get over the hump. Yeah, and, and you know, it, you got to remember, Sean Marion was 32, Dirk 32, Jet 33. Like you said at the time, you know, Jason Kidd's 38. Um, even looking at somebody like Peja Stokovic, this is, this is the last series he ever played in. Peja Stoyakovic, by the way, it was one of my next guys to go into. In the 0-2 Western Conference Finals, which are, you know, our uh, frenemy, I guess, Matt George, <laughs> who we like to joke about the, the 2018 draft with, uh, on Lockdown Kings, put together a three-part documentary about this, you know, this series for Lockdown Kings. Uh, the 0-2 you know, Sacramento Kings were this beloved team. They get to the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. The Lakers have won two, you know, two titles in a row already. They get to a game seven with 10 seconds left in regulation. Pedro Stojakovic airballs a baseline jumper that could have won them the game in game seven. I mean, this is a guy that now has something to come back from, too. And that was a long time between 02 and 11, but that's, a, you know, the biggest game of his life at that point. And this is him finally getting back to it. Yeah, and yeah, and this would be the end of his career. I mean, right. he's 30, 33, and uh, he wins his title. And, you know, here spoiler alert again, but <laughs> he wins his title and uh, rides off into the sunset because he never plays a, another game in the NBA. Two more players that had you know demons to exercise or had um, you know things to get off their chest, the chip on their shoulder. Tyson Chandler, he was part of the two thousand eight New Orleans Hornets with Chris Paul, David West, and Paige himself, who beat the Mavericks in the first round in two thousand eight. Uh, then lost in seven games to the title defending Spurs. Uh, they took the Spurs to seven games that year, which was pretty good. The Hornets were also at, they had home court advantage in that game, and in Game Seven, um, Chris Paul fouled out of that final game. They were so close to beating the Spurs in that seven game to get to the Western Conference Finals, uh, but that was another series that he got to play. And then Coach Carlisle, he lost. Um, with Detroit, the Detroit Pistons when he was the coach in the 03 Eastern Conference Finals and then also in the Eastern Conference Finals in 04 with the Indiana Pacers. So Carlisle had been, you know, close to getting to the finals twice. And then in, then in the 04-05 season, the Malice to Palace happens. So he goes Eastern Conference Finals with one team, Eastern Conference Finals with the Pacers. And then that 04-05 Pacers team was, some people say, the best team that he had. That was like Jermaine O'Neal. That was Ron Artest back then. Reggie Miller still around. Malice to the Palace happens. And all of a sudden, that's all that season's just gone. Like, he just completely lost that season. And now he's finally getting back to a point where his team is competitive again and he's he's with the Mavericks. So coming up, let's get into some more storylines about the Heat themselves and then we'll break down the game, game one of the NBA Finals 2011. But before we do that, Isaac Harris, 
Sports have come to a screeching halt, as we know. We're talking about a series that's almost 10 years <laughs> ten years ago at this point. Uh, but with basketball bench and pitchers off the mound, our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like Blackjack, Roulette, Slots, War, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out in the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. If video poker is not your thing, I don't think you're a video poker guy, Isaac, are you? Uh, no, I'm not, no. Uh, they've still got you covered with a host of live casino dealers. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables, live on site 24 seven that you can go virtually and play some blackjack, whatever you want to go play your favorite squad sideline because of the pandemic. Don't even sweat it. My bookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2k 20. Plus you can always do your part to make your bankroll great again by taking advantage of shifting odds on Political bets. There's all kinds of things you can bet on. You can bet on pretty much anything. You can trust the industry leaders in times like this. In times like this, they're reliable, upbeat, and based, best of all, they pay fast when you win. Isaac, you need to get that money when you win that money. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code LockedOnNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LockedOnNBA. Receive 150% cash bonus on your first deposit. You can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Promo code LockedOnNBA to activate the offer mybookie.ag promo code locked on nba you spin you win you get paid all right isaac let's get into a couple more storylines about the miami heat going into this obviously we had the decision in 2010 right before this finals uh right before the season before the finals and that was when lebron said not one not two not three and they go into this with just incredible amounts of expectation. There was not, there was not a team like this. This is before the Warriors. This is before, you know, um, man. I guess this, this is the other super team before that. But this is before even like LeBron and Kyrie and, and Kevin Love. Like big threes became a huge deal, mostly because of this team. They had the um, the Celtics, I guess, that had like Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. That was the closest you got to a big three. But then this team was like all three yeah. of these guys. were in their dead prime, uh, Wade had you know had won a title already. Chris Bosh was an All Star, um, LeBron, James, an All NBA player. It's not like they were just a couple All Stars. You know they were like top of the line on the Eastern Conference. They all get together, and they were just expected. There's so much expected to them, and they heaped it on themselves too with that decision and that you know pep rally thing that they did with the not one, not two, not three, and that was the the biggest storyline I think of the whole season. For sure. I mean, that was the headline of the season. And when you take, I mean, it's the three of the top 12 players of the NBA. I mean, one of my biggest things about back then was I think looking in hindsight now, especially with, you know, Bosch walking away from the game for the medical reasons when he did. I mean, he was an all-star the last season that he's playing, you know, he played in his career, but he was a five-time all-star in Toronto, averaging 22. The last season he was in Toronto in 2009-10 season, he averaged 24 points a game, 24 and almost 11 boards a game and all-star literally one of the best players in the game so like Bosch was really good I, t- I tweeted out today about how good Bosch was and I was like man he like imagine Chris Bosch in today's game like he, he would be even better in today's game and this guy tweeted at me he's like you you remember Bosch much differently than I do I'm like no well like I, I, no Chris Bosch was really really good so um, when they when you put those three guys together that's why I, I really never really bought into the yeah well you got three players but the rest of the roster is trash 
Okay, well, who gives a crap if you have three of the top 12 players? Like, this is what it matters. You, you see this in game one that we're going to talk about. If you have three guys like this that are amazing and at the you know top of their game and peak athletically, then, I mean, I, I, like, what else? You would, you would take that any other week and just put me and you as the other two in the starting five. So, I mean, yeah. Go back and look at those, like, Shaq and Kobe Lakers teams. Like, the rest of those, I mean, they had Derek Fisher, Robert Ori, and Rick Fox. Those guys weren't, like, incredible players they were good role players right but they yeah. weren't it wasn't like they had these next stars up and coming you no. know uh and they're just there's teams all over the place Allen iverson with those the 70 that 76ers team i mean jason kidd with with his nets teams they took this at this point in the nba there's not like these super deep teams like the warriors have kind of they've kind of skewed our idea of what a team should look like because they just yeah. hit the lottery in so many different ways to be able to put that team together and have so many I mean they were six seven players deep that had been all-stars I mean that just, it just doesn't happen very often no I don't and that's yeah the Warriors thing is so unique because of where they drafted their guys and getting them on cheaper contracts and you know the Steph injuries earlier in his career that allowed the four year deal on a cheap deal and it allowed them you know Draymond Green in second round allowed them the, the opportunity to get Kevin Durant I just don't think we'll ever see what the Warriors how they constructed a team like that I think it'll be very hard to see that in the future but this Heat team though when you have the talent of those three, even watching this game one, yeah, they pull it off. They have some big moments, but like there is still, and I tried to put this in a tweet though. It was, it was hard to like, you know, fully word this, but there is a way for you as a Mavs fan to look at this and say, LeBron and them should not have lost that finals. Like it's crazy that they lost yeah, this finals. Still true, but but also recognize how good this Mavericks team is too. And I think that's a, that's a hard spot for somebody like myself to be in because I'm look at this and be like, there's no way that the talent of LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, those three guys, should have lost that finals to this Mavs team. But then another side of me too is like, dang, this Mavs team was so dang good, <laughs> and I don't want to take credit away from them too. So I think there's a way that we you can still land on both sides of that. No, it's. It's the more you build up the Heat team, the better it makes the Mavericks look, right? Because if you build this Heat team up to be, wow, they didn't have anybody else, then it, it sort of diminishes the Mavericks' win. But because this Heat team was so good, they had so many... They, they were playing pretty well together at this point. They struggled early on, I remember. There was something... At the beginning of this season, weren't they... Uh, they had like a just barely above 500 record. People were talking about Eric Spolstra's job, if it was in jeopardy and all this stuff. But then, you know, they start playing well towards the end, and then you get to... Um, the the playoffs and they were rolling. I mean, they're just they're just playing well together. One of the best defensive teams in the NBA. I mean, yeah. uh, Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy were saying at the beginning of this game, this this Heat team, if they didn't have the decision and all that, people would love this team because they play the right way, they play hard, they play defense, all this stuff. And uh, yeah, it's just it was it was an incredible team that they put together. Those three guys, uh, and it made them it made this title for the Mavericks that much better. I think it doesn't. I don't think it cheapens it if you you know build up this Heat team. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying for sure. And I think this is an extra. Hey, I know a lot of people around the league hated you know, hated this Heat team because of the, the decision and stuff. But I think it's a little bit of extra hate for the for Mavs fans because of what we went through in 2006. Oh yeah. oh yeah, and it's like it was like the double whammy of like I really didn't like LeBron in Cleveland and all this stuff, and I didn't like the decision. But the fact that 
he joined the heat too <laughs> and i hated wade and stuff already it was like the combining of powers it was it was the opposite of vince carter joining the mavericks it's like favorite team favorite player oh what a you know perfect marriage for me and it's like wow i i can't stand this team i hate this team and like i i watching today i just was reminded how much i hated that team i hated that team so bad by the way, the Heat did. They started the season nine and eight, which is this incredible team, not one, not two, not three. And then they start the season nine and eight. And basically they lost that eighth game. Uh so they're nine and eight. The the game that they lost to get them to nine and eight was to the Mavericks. The Mavericks beat them 106 to 95 back in um November of 2010 and brought them to that nine and eight record. And they just were not looked at as this juggernaut as much. They kind of were really brought down to earth. Then they peel off like I don't know, 20, 20 and one in their next like <laughs> 21 games. They were just, they just dominated after that, but they had a really rocky start to the season and then they just really started to put it together. Um, okay. The beginning of this game, the starters in this game, we had Jason Kidd start to Sean Stevenson, Sean Marion, Dirk and Tyson for the Mavericks. That's the lineup that we've kind of known and loved, but we mentioned on yesterday's pod, how different the lineups had changed and how Carlisle had put different players in and Roddy Bobois played, had started a bunch of games, the Karan Butler thing we talked about. So this is the lineup they kind of turned to on the, the heat side, Wade, Bosch and LeBron. And then Mike Bibby come back from, you know, the Kings, Pedro Stojakovic's guy. And then Joel Anthony starting at center. Yeah. And I think one of the first things right off the bat that, uh, you know, going into the series, you wondered who was going to guard who, and you know who are they going to put Stevenson on, who are they going to put Marion on. I mean, I, I thought it was going to be the opposite of what it was. I thought Deshaun was going to take uh, Dwayne, and I thought you know Marion was going to take LeBron. And they come out from the opening tip, and it's the opposite. And they have Sean Marion on Wade and Stevenson on LeBron, and even uh, Jeff Van Gundy you know points that out in the very first quarter. He's like, oh, this is kind of surprising. Which oh, God, Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, just as brutal back then. They have some moments in this game one that I, I'm like can I how do I mute this on my computer right here how, can, <laughs> can I, just, I just get the game sound and Mike Breen and not the other two right can I just <laughs> I know god man it was horrible but yeah I think right off the bat was those de- defensive matchups that I was looking at yeah those defensive matchups were interesting Joel Anthony started the game guarding Dirk and Mike Breen gave the uh Dirk has been unguardable at times during this playoffs which is just a good feeling to feel um, and then also Mark Jackson brought up Dirk's weaknesses at this point in his in his career had been not being able to post up and being soft. Those are the two things that he mentioned about Dirk that were his weaknesses. Uh, and it's interesting that that narrative was sort of bucked after this. Um, man, the one thing I kept noticing in this whole game, and we'll get to some more of the game, but the Mavs rotating defensively, playing some zone here, some man here, and just rotating and just getting to spots and just not letting any not letting really anything slip through their cracks was like so good i mean their their rotations were so good in this first game yeah uh rotating defensively ball movement it was just it's you know it's two different styles there of seeing the this heat team that is clearly top heavy with those three guys and you know i think at one point um you know the big three for Miami had like 24 out of the 27 points or something for for the Heat in that first quarter, yeah. uh, and it's just like that's just how they were built. But then you watch this Dallas team and you see that ball movement on the offensive end, and then you see them kind of move on strings. It feels like defensively and rotating and all that stuff, and so and it just felt in that first, which it's wild just watch offense back then too, because even you know this was less than 10 years ago, and at the end of the first quarter of 17 16. 
And well, that's a classic start to a finals, though. Every game sure, one yeah, of every yeah. final starts where just neither team can score. But that continued the rest of this game, basically. Uh, and I mentioned the Mavericks defense because they couldn't score worth a crap. I mean, this is a bad game for the Mavericks overall. But defensively, they were stopping LeBron, Bosch, and Wade in a way, or at least containing them in a way that they didn't go off completely. Uh, and that's what I thought was impressive, at least at this point. Um, all right, coming up, let's get into the rest of this game, break down how the rest of this game went down. The end, there's bunch of different things to get into coming up all right isaac let's get into the rest of this game game one dallas mavericks uh you said the first quarter ended it was 17 16 the mavericks had the lead uh in the second quarter jj barea comes in and uh they tell a story about jj barea and how when he first was practicing he first came to practice the very first practice dirk was like, who are you? This guy is way too small to play. I can't believe that this guy is an NBA player. And then J.J. Brea obviously came in and made the roster and did all this stuff. They said still at this point in his career, 2011, he had been, it was like his fifth year in the NBA. He still had trouble getting into arenas in certain places because he'd come into the arena, they wouldn't believe he was a player. He And he, he looks so young when you look back at some of these uh, these tapes. And, yeah, I mean, it was, what, nine years ago, whatever. And um, it's crazy. Next year will be 10 years since that title. But, um, but yeah, it's it's funny to look at back because you see this. You see the extra, like, pep in his step. You see a little bit more bouncy J.J. Barea. And, you know, he's so small out there. But we're used to just seeing him now. And he still, he still pulls off, you know, a couple times a game now when he plays. And you're like, dang, there's J.J. again. But just seeing him play, I mean, he plays a huge role for this Mavs team off the bench. But um, it feels like, you know, in that first half, it felt like different times that I thought Miami should be up by like 15. Yes. It just seemed like they had bigger plays. I, you know, I think both of us did like a thread today on Twitter of uh, doing some highlights and stuff from that game and mm-hmm. whatever. And like I had my like program stuff up to like do highlights. And I, I was like a quarter and a half into this game. And I'm like, what am I freaking going to make a yeah, highlight there's of? There's nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, there's nothing like that's, that's happening. Uh, kid hits two big three back to back threes in the first quarter. Uh, they just the Mavericks just like kept hanging around in this game without even like they didn't have like spectacular highlights. Dirk wasn't shooting the ball very well at the, at, at the beginning, really any Mavs. Uh, and it was like you said, it was kind of messy and stuff. But yeah, they they played zone, uh, you know, some there in the second quarter. They really played it, you know, throughout the game and stuff. But they kind of you see the Mavericks' weakness too at times when it comes to like rebounding, especially when Tyson's out of the game. And I wanted to talk I, about this. God, it's like they're they're rebounding against some of these guys. It, they struggled a little bit. It, do you think that rebounding being a flaw in a Ma- in the Mavericks is now just baked into Dallas Mavericks fans? Because it's still every year we've done this podcast. It's been a completely different team, and everybody still talks about how the Mavericks need better rebounding. Yeah. I think it's based on teams like this for just having Dirk for so long and having teams that just couldn't rebound for so long. And now it's just, it's just a, a baked in thing where every year that people say, oh, the Mavericks need more rebounding. And that's why when an Andre Drummond comes up, they're like, oh, we need to get that guy. He can rebound, right? It's just an automatic because it just feels like teams for Mavericks teams for so yeah. long couldn't rebound. This is another one that couldn't. Uh, I also think that uh, not taking as many threes. Like the three, take, we take way more threes now, obviously, in the NBA. The Mavericks took 22 in this game. The Heat took 24. 
be teams would double that at this point in the yeah. NBA and uh, taking more threes allows bigger players on the perimeter to rebound better. So this Mavericks team, this 2011 team would rebound a lot better now than they did then. Uh, Dirk Tyson, Jason Kidd was a big guard. He's like six, five, six, six. Sean Marion was big. Obviously Deshaun Stevenson was six, five, six, six. Like this team would have rebounded a lot better now. Anyway. Yeah. You said doubling too. I, I think it's you know important to, to point out too of that. They, they were doubling Dirk a lot. And you know he would get the ball kind of in the in a post there, and they they would bring that second guy. I said they would double the amount of threes they would take, but yeah, yeah. But you said double, and it made me think just of that. The word, it you was, take, oh, you're taking yes, the word yes. doubling. It, it was the word doubling. And it made me think of uh, them double teaming him. Uh, there was something Jeff Van Gundy said on a, a different note, and there's some that he said I could put on blast. He took up for a Mario Chalmers thing one time when Mario Chalmers stepped out of bounds, and Jeff Van Gundy went oh, on this yes, like yes, yes, thirty yes. second rant. He's like, you know what? If his foot's on the, on the out of bounds line and he's not touching the ball, I don't think that should even count. Yeah. So the play was it was a as a transition play where the ball was basically thrown up ahead of Mario Chalmers. Mario Chalmers catches the ball and he's like tiptoeing the line, trying to turn a corner with the ball. He's dribbling the ball, and so he steps like his right foot would be inbounds, his left foot would be out of bounds as he was like stepping, and and he's he was dribbling. And Jeff Van Gundy was trying to explain how if he's dribbling the ball when the ball's not in his hands and his foot is out of bounds, he. Should shouldn't be considered out of bounds because he doesn't have control of the ball and his foot out of bounds at the same time he was like i don't know how you would track that like no you wouldn't track that because it's no. ridiculous there's no way that anyone would keep track of that it was super <laughs> dumb but yeah. so, something something that he did say that made me think was he talked about just how dallas built the team around dirk mm-hmm. and it made me think about now he's like you know he said you look at dirk and you look at the you know offensive power dirk is, dirk is but look at how they built these you know this team around Dirk he said you got these five defender type of guys Tyson Sean Marion Stevenson and even you know Jason Kidd because there was a point there to where Rick starts the transition right now in game one that coming into you know going into the second half he has JJ Barea in there instead of Deshaun Stevenson and it pushes Jason Kidd on Dwayne Wade when they're not running zone but him him saying that it made me think of now with Luca and like are they what's the similarities of building a team around Dirk back then to Luca now yeah that, that's an interesting thing that will that def- be a whole different pod we'll definitely talk about in a different pod Stevenson only played 14 minutes in this game I mean they played Jason Kidd and JJ Beret a lot together they played Jason Terry and Jason Kidd a lot together in this game uh, they're just trying to look for buckets anywhere I mean the Mavericks shot 37% in this game overall from the field uh, they took 32 free throws but they uh, just only scored 84 points I mean that just seems crazy right, <laughs> right now looking back yeah um, one thing I want to mention, you're talking about highlights. One thing that I kept coming up with was Dirk coming off the dribble. Like guys would just come yeah. and try to close out, and Dirk being able to go off the dribble and just those, you know, the, obviously the, we'll talk about in game two, the lefty layup. He just had that play over and over again in, in this playoffs. And uh, that's something that really went quick in his game. I mean, when he aged, like that was the first thing really to go, was to be able to do anything off the dribble. And it was a huge weapon for him. And watching what Dirk uh, was doing off the catch too, yes. I thought that was incredible. And that's where, if you're Christoph Porzingis, you're looking at you know Dirk and his ability to do that because Dirk, you know, being seven foot and how he was le- releasing his shot, nobody could block it. So when you start establishing the you know that when you catch the ball wherever you're at, that you're going straight up for the shot and people can't block it anyway, then people are going to try to jump that a little bit if they know that you're going to catch the ball on the corner. You know, on the elbow or something like that, and you're going straight up, they're going to have to try to jump 
jump early to try to even have a shot at blocking it. So what Dirk was doing in some of these things, you know, there was a, the play in the second half to where, I mean, they pass it to him. He's like kind of at the free throw line elbow, and he doesn't even, I mean, he catches it and he's already going, but Haslam has to like, he has to respect the jumper and he's just caught off guard and Dirk drives right past him. And it's that the threat of the jumper that allows him the ability to drive the lane. He goes in, does the switch to the left hand over Bosch. And it was just a, it was a beautiful move. And it's like, he's seven foot guys. Like I know that seems kind of normal now because we see guys like Giannis and you know, those guys and Kevin Durant, but seven footers didn't do that back then. And somebody should tell Max is nice that he was pretty, he was pretty quick on his feet at this point still in this. Okay. Now, I will say I didn't, he, what he did in that video, so he got a lot of flack for we're this. We're talking about but Max is nice, which is the he's the uh, the basketball like impersonator along with B dot A dot, and uh, he did a, a Dirk and Nash, and he basically did old Dirk with Nash, which just kind of doesn't look right, you know, because it should be it That's should a, be young Dirk. That's the thing because if he did it with like Dirk and Luca, it would have made sense because I think what he like everybody was harping on for how he was doing, you know, Dirk, but it, like. It was Dirk later in his career was spot on. It was incredible. I laughed about it, but it what that Dirk wasn't with Nash, so I get that. But anyway, if he just I, I if he just put in a tweet, Dirk and Nash today, right? You know, like hanging out, yeah. like forty year old Dirk and Nash, right? That would have been perfect. Anyway, uh, I didn't expect to be talking about that today, but you know. That's what you get with the Locked On Mavericks podcast. Well, I don't, I don't have quarantine. a ton of notes for the second half because this game was so bad. I, I, hate, I hate this Heat team. It, it turned into you know LeBron had some big plays in that fourth quarter and second half, and I just turned it off with about a minute and a half left because I was done with it. A couple of the big things in this game: Dirk scored twenty-seven points. He led the Mavs, but he did tear a tendon in his middle finger on his left non-shooting hand during the game. And then afterwards, it was revealed he was gonna have to wear a splint throughout the rest of this series. So it was his non-shooting hand. We'll talk about that, you know, that a little bit more. But he he ended up tearing that in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy you you know combine that with you know when Dirk gets sick and all that. It's like Dirk didn't have the healthiest of finals, uh, <laughs> and, you know, a couple of weeks here. So yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge storyline going into game two. Add that to the narrative that Dirk had to buck, right? He had to buck the the, the yep. hand injury, the flu, like all the stuff that he had to come out with. All right, uh, I would like to finish up with this. This is the Associated Press's recap of this game. This is the first couple lines. You ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. And so they write these right after the game. This is not post, you know, post-humanist or whatever. <laughs> Miami. Dwayne Wade's night began with a hug for his mom. It ended with an entrance from Le- an embrace from LeBron James. Nearby, Chris Bosh held up three fingers. No explanation necessary. The Miami Heat are three wins from the reason why the big three came together in the first place. Well. Come on. <laughs> I got something to let you know, AP, Associated Press. What's crazy is that game one loss was, I mean, we've said this every pod of past two or three, that was just their fourth <laughs> the fourth loss of oh, the, the entire whole playoffs. The whole playoffs. <laughs> yeah, and that it's just nuts. And yeah, everybody going into this finals, you know, a lot of people were, you know, writing the Mavericks off because the Heat was heavily favored at the beginning of the season, favored going into this finals. This is the, the stacked team. and But it was cool to see you know, the Heat had so much hate. It was cool to see people jump on the Mavs bandwagon too and uh, welcome them on board of, hey, you, y'all can hate the Heat and come, you know, cheer for our team too. Cavaliers fans, the Mavaliers. Remember those yes. fans online that were getting back, where they were back in the Mavericks at this point? Yes, they were. 
Uh, my takeaways from the Mavericks after this game, like let's say we didn't know how the series was going to end and we just watched this game. My takeaways would have been the Mavs are so slow, the Mavericks cannot score, and they cannot rebound, right? It's just like like the three huge things because the, the Heat seemed to just match up so well. Dirk was going to get his buckets, but they had Wade and... Uh, LeBron to throw at Jet, right, and or any of the the you know the scoring like guards that the Mavericks had, uh, and the Mavericks had answers for the Heat, but it wasn't it just wasn't going to be enough defensively. Yeah, and I think just you know walking out of that, they the Heat were just so much faster and it felt like bigger and, and just younger. more athletic and yeah and younger it's just you know and getting out in transition and stuff to where coming out of that you're like all right well if the Mavericks gonna have to have a shot in this game they're gonna have to hit at least 10 threes a game they're gonna have to be knocking out outside shots Dirk's gonna have to put up a steady 30 a game to you know have a have a shot at this and then you just hope somebody like Jet uh or you know one of these guys puts up a 20 ball or something like that and uh, and yeah we we go into game two and Game two is literally, uh, we'll talk about this uh, all today and all tonight. Uh, well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm getting my days mixed up. Uh, we record the pod the night before, and so we always try to use the words like today, be c- talking about yes. like Wednesday. So, but we're recording this Tuesday night, so I it gets confusing. Uh, Dirk scored 27 this game. Sean Marion was second on the Mavs in scoring with 16. He had 10 boards, four assists, uh, a steal and a block. He had a pretty good game. Um, and then... Uh, Tyson Chandler and Kidd had nine points. Sean Stevenson had six. Jason Terry had 12. Uh, and that was the only scoring for the Mavericks, really. I mean, nobody could really hit shots. Nobody was really coming up big. Uh, the Heat, big three. Wade had 22. LeBron had 24. And Bosh had 19. Off the bench, Mario Chalmers had 12. By the way, Mario Chalmers was 26. Or he was 24 in this series. And LeBron was only two years older than him. It always seemed to me like Mario Chalmers was 18 and LeBron was like 35 in this series. It was his dad. Yeah, treating him like a little kid where he's like two years younger than him. Get, getting a combined five threes from uh, Miller and Chalmers off the bench, that that was you know big for Miami. And uh, anytime Miami could get you know a guy over 10 points you know, outside their big three, that was big for them. Well, and LeBron hit four of his five threes. I mean, that was just not something yeah. that was super part of his game. There was a, a clip that I tweeted out earlier um, where Deshaun Stevenson was guarding LeBron and they went to Bosch in the post and Deshaun Stevenson came all the way off of LeBron. LeBron was at the top of the key. Bosch was on the right like block, basically. Deshaun came all the way over to help and he came all the way off of LeBron because he didn't respect his jumper. And maybe that was the wrong choice and maybe that's why Carlisle took him out a couple times in this game, but LeBron ended up hitting four you know, threes and that was just the a, a thing that he didn't have in his game completely yet at this point. Yeah. All right, I'm done with game one. And I'm over. The Mavericks lose, by the way. They lose 92 to 84, if you couldn't tell from our tone. We'll get into game two tomorrow. Guys, appreciate you checking out the final splashback. Thanks so much for listening to Locked on Maps. Peace out. Boom. Boom.